Pozdrav, dragi ljubitelji knjiga i podcasta između redaka. Danas smo vam opet odlučili predstaviti jednog Britanca, no s jednom posebnom pričom. Zove se Harry i ne, nije ni rezerva, ni čarobnjak. Ali je jedan poseban sin, onaj svjetski poznate autorice Lucinda Riley, koju smo nažalost izgubili 2021. Harry je osim nošenja s gubitkom imao još jedan težak zadatak, a to je dovršiti životno dijelo svoje majke. Kako mu je to uspjelo? Je li pisanje na njega djelovalo terapeutski i planirali se pisanjem baviti i dalje, saznat ćemo od Harrya Vitakera. Uh, thank you Harry for coming here in our small studio in Zagreb and thank you for coming in Croatia, to Croatia. It's my pleasure. I've had such a wonderful time. Zagreb is amazing. The upper town is beautiful and I think one of my favorite things I've ever done is ride your funicular railway. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, uh, weren't you afraid? I know that you don't like planes. I mean, it's not comparable, but still. <laughs> yes, I think what it maybe 200 feet is different to 30,000, so I was okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is your first time in Zagreb, right? Yes. Okay, and I know that you plan to visit Croatia again. Uh, Definitely. Which, which town specifically? Well, I'm British, so I have to go to Dubrovnik Why? to meet the other British people there. <laughs> um, it's one of our most popular holiday destinations. Why you is know? that? Why I, do you I, think? I'm not sure. For British people, I think it's a new location because traditionally, you know, they go to Spain and that is where they okay. go. Um, but over the last five years in particular, Croatia has really become very popular as a holiday destination. Maybe because British people thought, oh, there's too many British people in Spain, so I'll go to Croatia <laughs> and now we'll the British people go to Dubrovnik and it's the same problem so I'm sorry about that <laughs> but I really want to go to the island is it po- Korčula? Korčula yeah. yes I understand it's really beautiful yeah and it's really close to Dubrovnik I visited Korčula first time like a couple of weeks ago and then when we were going back uh, we we're like well Dubrovnik is like two hours away and it's usually like six or seven hours away from Zagreb and we're yeah. like okay it's on our way so so we will go so yeah you should definitely visit Korčula I'll see you there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, why do you think that um, Croatia started to become more popular as a destination? Because I, I noticed I watch a lot of movies and TV shows and I don't know if that's because I'm from Croatia. So I noticed every time when they mention Croatia, but I noticed that a lot of more shows and uh, hosts are talking about Croatia as a popular destination. Because when you mention Spain, Spain, I really hate when I'm watching like Hallmark movies and everything and someone is getting married and they're going on uh, honeymoon to Europe and it's always Italy and France <laughs> and now they're actually mentioning Croatia. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's got to be due to the friendly population. Everyone I've met in Croatia has been totally delightful. I haven't met a single grumpy person, so I think that's got to be a big part of it. Amazing sense of history here. The architecture in Zagreb is, you know, to me as a British person, is just so wonderful to see. It's so different to anything we have at home. And your beautiful coastline. I mean, there's no reason why people wouldn't want to come here. Um, but I appreciate for you as a resident, like it's not necessarily so great to have all these tourists flocking <laughs> and making your city really busy. Well, it's it's kind of uh, okay in Zagreb because mm-hmm. Zagreb is uh, big, but in smaller towns, I mean, you will notice in Dubrovnik. Well, <laughs> yes. I, I was there in May and it was already very, very, very crowded and I can't imagine what it's like during the summer. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so you were here on a mission and that mission was? Well, to talk about the final book in the Seven Sisters series, Atlas, the story of Par Salt, uh, of which I am the co-author. It's the final book in the Seven Sisters series. It provides readers with all the answers they've been waiting for and tells the story of the girl's mysterious adoptive father, Par Salt. 
Okay, so you mentioned that you co-authored the book. Mm. Uh, it's a very specific um, event, uh, and you had to take over uh, with the eighth book, uh, and the rest of the seven were written by your mom. Yes. Why did you have to take over? Well, she died in 2021 uh, of esophageal cancer, having been ill for four years. Um, she obviously planned to finish her series and write the eighth book, which was a surprise to readers, because readers only expected seven books. Mm. And then in, I believe, April 2021, so just a few weeks before she died, she announced to her readers there was going to be a surprise eighth book which would uh, reveal all the answers and tie everything up. Uh, but sadly, she died before she could write it. Uh, but you were left with the guidelines, right? That's right. So I'm very lucky because I had uh, a, a series of notes from Lucinda that were essential for writing the book. Um, in 2016, uh, when she had actually just started the Seven Sisters series, I think she'd only written two books at this stage. In 2016? 2016. And she managed to write seven books in a span of, what, six years? Yes. Yeah, yeah no, she was, okay. she was amazing in that respect, and whilst ill as well. Uh, but 2016, she was flown over to Hollywood by a production company. They wanted to buy the film rights, but they said, if you want a film deal, you have to tell us how you think the series is going to end. She didn't know at that stage, <laughs> but it forced her to go into a room and come up with an ending, or where she, at least where she thought the series was going to go. Um, and that took the form of 30 pages of script dialogue between two characters, and uh, within there, there was so much content that was essential for, for the writing of Atlas. That, coupled with the fact that Par Salt, uh, the father figure um, this book is about, he appears in the first books secretly. Mm -hmm. It's a surprise cameo. And I knew where he was. So it was, for, for me, it was a case of sort of connecting the dots, knowing where we're going to end up. And that was the situation. Uh, and what is happening now with the adaptation? Um, there will be an announcement, I hope, in the next few weeks. The oh, deal is done, everything great. is signed, um, so I'm really hoping I can finally talk about it. <laughs> I feel like some people already know, but I can't officially talk about it, so um, I'm looking forward to being able to do that. And it's maybe interesting to mention how long did it take for like, the, the first meeting to the final deal? Two years, almost Two years. on okay, the dot. Yeah, I thought that it was actually longer, but uh... well, no, because um, so the film rights have been with various different people over the years. You know, some people buy the rights, and the world of film and television, as you know, is very complex, and there are a lot of moving parts within there. So the rights have sort of bounced around from company to company, uh, but now they are sold to the people that are going to make the TV show, and it's very exciting. Okay, yeah, good luck, congratulations. Uh, how many kids did your mom have? Four. <laughs> and as a middle child, I have to ask this question because I have issues. She chose you to continue her work. Were you her favorite child? No. <laughs> Do your siblings think that you were her favorite child? No, absolutely child? <laughs> not. I mean, my mother was the best mother in the world, and therefore she made all of her children feel as if they were her favorite. <laughs> um, no. Uh, I, do you know, I've actually been asked this question so often Seriously, across the world. Seriously, there are a lot world. of middle children. Clearly, right? <laughs> clearly. But I am very lucky. I have three wonderful brothers and sisters who are just so happy that the books are going to be finished and that Mum's legacy is going to be complete. Uh, I think maybe, you know, if, if I came from a family of 
for authors, like children who are authors, there would be some jealousy or some <laughs> problems, but they're not. But they're, you know? they're not in the... No, one market. is a psychotherapist, one works in public relations, and one has just left school, so mm -hmm. is having a nice time until he decides what he wants to do. Okay, so when you were supposed to, to finish, uh, the to, to write the eighth book, uh, was it an immense pressure or was it therapeutical? Um, it was huge pressure. It was unbelievable. Um, Did you have, I, I guess that you had some kind of um, uh, due date? To yeah. deliver it. Okay. So because we were doing a simultaneous publication across the world, I had to deliver it to everyone by the 1st of October 2022. And I started writing, I think, about the 10th of October 2021. Um, 50 million readers of Lucinda's across the world, a decade's worth of mysteries, the fact that I'd only written children's books, never a novel before and I knew this was going to have to be a really long, complex book because it's what the readers expect. There was so much pressure that if you thought about it for too long, mm -hmm. you would, I don't know, you'd, you'd crawl into a corner and mm -hmm. not want to do anything. So I tried not to keep that in my mind. I just tried to keep my mother in my mind. I really wrote it for her, one person. And in that way, I found the pressure melted away and um, it was a real privilege. Uh, did you read the, the first seven books beforehand or did you have to, to, to read them before writing the eighth one? No, of course, I'm very lucky that um, for the last decade uh, I would read the books as they were being written by mum. Oh, so if she'd written 20 pages you that week or whatever. Reader, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. So we'd had so many discussions and I was really fortunate, sort of doubly fortunate, having read the books once, 2020, the film company before the film company who were going to make it, so the previous film company, I was working with them on The Seven Sisters, and part of my job for that was to provide really detailed summaries of the novels to them, mm. which meant I reread each of The Seven Sisters books, and I produced about 50 to 60 pages of notes on each, and this was 2020, so 18 months before I began to write. So that was really fortunate. I was in a really good position. Yeah, that's really practical. Yeah. What was kind of the, the biggest challenge? I mean, the book has like 700 pages. I think that that was the challenge itself. But yeah. during the writing, what did you find the, the most hard? So for me, completing the series in a, in a logical way that would satisfy readers was difficult. Um, because we follow Parsalt's life and it's not a spoiler to say that we revisit each of the first seven books. We, we return to certain scenes in those books uh, and linking those together in a, in a satisfying and uh, in a way that made sense, that was hard. That was really hard. Um, and it was just hard not having anyone to talk to. I mean, who is the person I would normally talk to about my creative life anyway, or all aspects of my life? My mum. You know, I would pick up the phone and call her. Um, and I couldn't do that. So I guess those two things were the hardest. Were there any points when you were thinking about giving up? No. No? No, are, never. Are, are you stubborn that way? Or is it, is, was it like that just for this book? Uh, you know, my mum had asked me to do it. And that's and it. That's it. Yeah. You know, it was getting done, you know, and maybe I was going to do a terrible job, um, but I was going to do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and what is the feedback from the readers? It's really taken me aback, actually. Um, I was very, very scared. Probably about two weeks before publication, I began to really panic, thinking, 
there are a lot of readers and not everyone's going to be happy. Maybe no one will be happy. And what if I ruin Mum's legacy and I ruin the Seven Sisters series? Because those were things that could have happened. But honestly, the feedback from readers so far has been overwhelming and I feel very privileged that people have received it as a positive ending to the Seven Sisters series. Even if Lucinda had been here and had written it herself, I think she would feel the same. Because whenever a big series ends, you know, it's a difficult thing to do, to tie up all the loose ends, to try and satisfy everyone. But so far, the vast majority of readers seem to have had only positive feedback, so I'm, I feel very lucky and I'm very happy. Uh, I've talked to the translator, Yelena Pataki, yeah. who is a really big fan of you and the books and this show as well. So she's definitely watching this episode. So Yelena, hi. Hi, Yelena. Uh, Thank you for translating the book. <laughs> and I asked her about the style. Were there any differences between your style and Lucinda's yeah. style? And she said that she really didn't notice it. So we're kind of impersonating your mom's style mm. or did it come to you naturally? So for the first 100 pages of the book I tried really really hard to write like Lucinda Riley which is a huge challenge you know she was a master storyteller I don't think anyone can write like her um, but it was taking so long because <laughs> I was second-guessing every word and every action and thinking would mum have her character do that? And I realised, due to my deadline, this thing was not going to get written in time. <laughs> so I got to 100 pages and I just thought, right, don't think about it too much. Just write the story. And thankfully by then, I think the story itself had taken hold and it necessitated being written in a certain way, in mum's voice really. Um, and from that moment on, I didn't think about it. But that is a huge compliment. and. Of all the feedback from the readers, I think that's the most amazing thing for me personally, that they, f they really feel like it's a Lucinda Riley book, mm. which is sort of magical and a miracle because um, it's sort of ridiculous that that has happened, you know? Um, so, yeah, a total joy that, that that is the case. How much uh, do you think that the translator influenced it as well? Because um, Yelena is writing in a certain style, yeah. so when she was translating, uh, she was writing in her own style, and the readers got used to it through the, the totally. Books. Yeah, it's the same. So I mean, I can only look at the sort of the English language edition, and the the comments are the same. You know, they really do feel like it's a Lucinda Riley book, and that's a pleasure um, to hear. And clearly it's the same here in Croatia and a huge part of that is due to Jelena and her style. Um, yes, it's continuity. That was, I suppose it's in, in many ways different in the English language. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. I suppose in many ways it's different in the English language because you don't, you didn't have a translator. So there was no aspect of continuity whatsoever. Whereas in foreign languages, yes, you've got the same translator that's worked in most cases, yeah. on the first seven books. So perhaps even, and I would never know this, but perhaps even maybe they adapted some of my voice to better suit Lucinda's in the way that they had translated Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, but I, I would just, I would never know. <laughs> well, you will learn Croatia. Yes, exactly. When you come to Dubrovnik <laughs> and Korčula. Uh, you told me something interesting beforehand, and that is that you enjoyed editing more than writing. And I don't think that that's very common for mm. all of the authors. Mm. So can you explain yourself a bit? Do you know, it's weird because it was the same for Lucinda. Um, we wrote four children's books together in 2018. And she told me then, like, oh, my favorite bit is, is editing. I love, 
taking out sentences, making it sound perfect to the ear. And I didn't understand it then, but having written Atlas, I find it very cathartic. It's, it makes me feel good. Um, in, I think when we were having dinner last night, you call me the Marie Kondo of books <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> Does this sentence bring you joy? No, I'll get rid of it. And that's how I feel. It's, um, it's like decluttering a, a, a wardrobe for me, getting rid of clothes you don't wear anymore, giving them away, uh, cleaning your surfaces and your cupboards. Um, I love it. I just find it really, having created something, trying to make it into that perfect version is actually something I really enjoy. And maybe I'm a bit of a freak like that. And you threw out how many pages on the first go? First go. Before I even sent it to my editor, I took out over 200 pages, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is ridiculous, really. Um, and I feel sad that I deleted them. You know, I literally deleted them. I didn't save them anywhere. And I sort of feel a bit sad now that I've got rid of them. Mm. I could have released a graphic novel or something of all the in-between bits. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned children's book. what mm. are, books. What are they, they about? Yes, so um, we wrote the Guardian Angel series for children together. They are picture books for uh, children aged four to eight, but with a, a large focus on the parent who is reading. Um, the series, the, the concept is um, if a child is experiencing a worry or um, uh, uh, something that causes them stress, uh, then um, their problem will be solved by an unseen guardian angel mm. using forces, you know, like the wind and nature, um, just to make a sort of child feel safe and secure. And it's a scary world out there at the moment. And I think we all need a guardian angel. So, you know, one of the books, uh, a little boy loses his, um, his childhood teddy bear on holiday. Uh, another one, um, a little girl at Christmas time, her, her father is stuck out on a fishing boat in the sea due to a storm. Um, so it's a very sweet series, not yet available in Croatia, but maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk to Egmont about it? I haven't yet. Maybe I should. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I mean, you, you said that you have some spare time. <laughs> it's true, yes. Yeah. Uh, is it something that you also plan to continue? It's a great question. I don't think so. I think... <sighs> for me next, I've got to write an adult novel of my own. And maybe one day I'll return to the world of children's books. But it's not, it doesn't, at the moment, and it might change, it doesn't excite me as much as the prospect of writing a novel does. Because for me now, it's like, oh, why would I want to go back to writing 30 pages when I can write another, well, I'm not doing 700 again, <laughs> but, you know, 400. Um, so that's a big mental shift for me, yeah. Yeah, I think that you mentioned during the, the dinner that you are going to write um, another novel. Yeah. And I don't think that I, I heard you correctly, but mm -hmm. maybe I did, mm -hmm. that you are going to start in October. Yeah. <laughs> how come it's a very long time? How come it's a very long time? No, no how come that you're starting <laughs> in October and not, I don't know, right now? Because you have a lot of promotional stuff with... Yes, the, yeah, okay. so this was quite stressful. <laughs> Um, so you're taking a mental break. <laughs> well, it's not. I'm not even taking a break um, <laughs> because here. I'm here. I'm doing promotion uh, throughout uh, June and then July. I do have a two-week holiday, um, but then in August, part of my other because I don't just write books. I'm also a radio presenter and I have a, a theatre company as well. Um, so all of August is taken up with shows for my theatre company. Um, 
September I'm actually working on a different Lucinda Riley project mm -hmm. uh, in the 1990s she wrote books under the name Lucinda Edmonds and when she returned as Lucinda Riley in 2010 she actually rewrote three of those books from the 90s and released them so I'm going to do one of those in September and so October yeah. I'll start writing my own so well, I would like to have a break but I'm not having one <laughs> And what would the book be about? How much can you share with us? It'll be different to Lucinda Riley's work, for sure. I'll, this is not written in my own voice, Atlas. Um, this will be written in my own voice, which I think is more comedic, contemporary, humorous, I suppose, uh, quite British in the style of... Um, Nick Hornby or David Nichols, who are authors I admire and I more naturally gravitate towards. So um, I'm excited. It'll be about a school reunion, but I, um, I'd say I, I can't say any more than that, but it's because I don't really know more than that at this stage. I have the bare bones of an idea, but what it will turn into, I'm not sure yet. I already mentioned yesterday, and I would like to emphasize that for our um, for the people who are watching this uh, podcast that I really admire you for losing your mom two years ago was really hard, mm. and continuing her work was also hard. And now you repeatedly have to talk about her, and yeah. I don't know if that is difficult for you or not. Yes, very difficult. Yeah. Um, in a way, of course, it's uh, a joy to remember her every day and talk to so many people about her and her life. But you do get to a certain stage, you know, when you've done 100 interviews where you just, there is a sadness that creeps in and you think, I wish I could talk to her. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. Um, I would, and it's the story of everyone who's lost someone. Everyone, if you haven't lost someone yet in your life, one day, I'm sorry to tell you, you are going to lose someone. And when that happens, you'll know that you would just give anything to have one final conversation, one final afternoon with that person. And that's, well, yeah, I do find myself in that position. I would love to talk to her about everything that has happened since her death. Um, but I can't. Maybe one day. But you, you, you told me also something really motivational that you can decide to go um, two ways yeah. to, to live your life yeah. or to be swallowed by, by grief and yeah. you decided to live your life. Yeah, that's right. I think you can either be... It sounds um, a little bit harsh and I don't mean it in this way at all. Um, but I say to myself, you can be a hero or a victim. And what I mean by that is you can be a hero even just keeping breathing, um, getting through it, living your life, continuing day to day until you begin to feel better. That is being a hero. Um, being a victim is more sort of letting yourself be consumed by grief and your whole life becoming about grief to the point where you're not really living anymore. And of course we all know that isn't what the person you have lost would want. Yeah. They would want you to live your life. Um, so I try and remember that. Uh, you mentioned your theatre company mm. and it's related to comedy, right? Yeah, I guess yeah. that's really helpful. <laughs> it is! Do you know, it really is. Um, those people that I do the show with, they make me laugh like no one else. And that is so important. Laughter is, if you have laughter in your life, it's, it is, it's an old saying, but it's the best medicine. You just feel better. I love those guys. I love doing the comedy shows. Um, it's the thing I enjoy the most. You know, I love, I love to write. I love to be on the radio. But when I'm on stage being funny and feeding off the energy of an audience, to me, it's perfection.
uh, you're doing improv. Yeah. Have you seen The Office? Of course, yes. The well, best. The British version or the American both. version? Both. I've seen both. Okay. I love both. I, I didn't like the British version. I usually like the original version, but I, it didn't really. Uh, well, the different the differences between the British version and the American version. The British version could be real. You know, it really could be a genuine documentary about a paper company, mm. and as such, it's very depressing. Yeah. You know, there are humorous moments, but ultimately, you're sort of left watching it thinking. Oh, oh my God. God, yeah. Whereas the American office, I think due to the, the optimism of the American people and that American attitude, it's, it's so optimistic. It's joyful, you know. It's, you, it's like a feel-good experience. You watch it and you just feel better about life. Um, uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad that you're a fan because I have to ask you, did you learn a lot about improv from Michael Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm not stitch. I'm not superstitious, <laughs> but I am a little stitious. Um, I mean, I quote when I was at university in particular. I quoted Michael Scott the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes, they were, they're right. There's so much improv on that show. I even listen to a podcast now where two of the cast members, um, Jenna Fisher, Fisher and Angela yeah. Kinsey, okay. the Office ladies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and hearing just how much improvisation on there is. Yeah, it's a joy to me to hear about that. Okay, so uh, for people who maybe don't know what improv is, can mm. you explain it a bit? And can you tell me if it's harder than the usual comedy show? Yeah. Because it, it sounds harder to me because sure. you have to improvise. So there are different forms of improvisational comedy. Um, what my company does is, is long-form improvisation. So we will basically put on a whole play based on an idea from the audience. Um, we have several shows that we perform, but we're probably best known in the UK for our improvised episode of the British sci-fi show Doctor Who. <laughs> so we will take an audience suggestion for a location anywhere in time and space. So maybe they say, a supermarket on Mars, and that is our location. And then we pull an episode title out of a hat that they've suggested. Uh, so it might be, this episode of Doctor Who set on a supermarket on the moon is called um, Attack of the Fruit Flies, or whatever. And then we literally perform a show for two hours uh, based on those suggestions. And it actually, subconsciously, I think, I've done it for so many years, it has really helped with my understanding of narrative um, because you're having to do something complete and made up on the spot within a short format and therefore you learn the sort of beats of a story and the emotional points that you've got to hit and the peaks and the troughs and how you wrap everything up and it's very useful if you're an author you know because you're so you have such um, a knowledge of how the craft of story works so I would recommend any, any authors watching, do improvised comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your favorite actor? Oh, that's a big question. Sorry. Do you know, no, but it's interesting. I've never seen it, but I have to tell you who's my favorite actor. Oh, go on. Uh, David Tennant. I'm in a David Tennant. Yeah. He, he, is, he is a wonderful <laughs> I mean, actor. I've, I've seen him in a lot of movies and other yeah. shows. But he, yeah. is, he is wonderful. I think with David, you, you look at him and you want to look more. You're like, oh, what's, what's behind that? Um, he's a wonderful actor, very versatile. My favourite actor, I think, honestly, and this, you brought up The Office um, coincidentally, but my favourite actor, I think, is Steve Carell, because he's a comic actor. Oh, well, uh, 
I've asked you like uh, your favorite doctor. doctor My favorite doctor. They, they oh, I thought you said favorite but actor. You, but okay, we can we can talk about Steve Carell as well. I love him too. <laughs> um, yeah, so Steve Carell because he he can perform you know in serious roles as well. I think serious actors quite often they can't do comedy, but a lot of comic actors are very very professional and good uh, emotional serious actors my favorite doctor <laughs> i definitely didn't expect to be asked this question in croatia oh my gosh i mean so you, it, you came into the bookstore <laughs> yes, which has started is in it so yeah. yeah hmm so my honest answer and it's probably not one you want to hear would be the second doctor his name was patrick troughton he was warm and funny and really i think all actors who have played the doctor since him have a little bit of his performance in there but also, I really liked um, Christopher Eccleston, who only did one season of Doctor Who, um, but he revived it. You know, there'd been a big break since the 1990s. It came back in 2005. And in the UK, he was, you know, a very well-respected actor and not the sort of actor you would expect to star mm -hmm. in this show. Um, so I'm just, I suppose I'm thankful to him for taking it on. And that means I can somehow make money from Doctor Who all these years later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just asked you because I wanted to mention David Tennant and my love He is great. So, yeah. He is great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, he's coming back. Oh, really? Yeah. So he, in fact, he is the current Doctor. Oh, well. So we had the first female Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, same surname. Mm -hmm. um, and then she regenerated, you know, she changed back into David Tennant. Okay, great. So who so knows now, what's now it's really a good time for me <laughs> exactly, to Exactly, to get back into that. it, yes. <laughs> and from all the work you've mentioned, mm. we haven't uh, talked about one thing that you are also doing, and this is radio yes. show. Yeah. Uh, where are you working and how did that start? And how do you manage to fit it in your schedule and go to the vacation <laughs> or promotional purposes in Croatia? I'm not fitting it in very well at the moment. <laughs> In fact, actually, are you going to get fired? <laughs> I think that the BBC actually are not very happy with me because I'm not turning up to my shows. But then the BBC is having a lot of problems at the moment and restructuring, and they are firing a lot of people. And I am waiting I, to. I'm and I was waiting. only joking. <laughs> no, it's true. But I'm waiting to hear basically if I'm going to be fired or not. Um, at the moment, I think I probably am. Uh, but there might be a last-minute save. Um, but you can't control these things, you know. The BBC is publicly funded, and if people aren't paying their license fee, then... Yeah, know, something similar is happening in Croatia yeah. as well. So, yeah. so the radio station I work at um, before, so at the moment has 13 presenters, and after the cuts are finished in the autumn, there will be two. Oh. So, so yeah, you're most you know. definitely getting fired. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm really sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, but... It, you have a lot of work. Yeah, and you know, so I'll just work for another radio station. You know, oh. it's not, it doesn't worry me in the way that, you know, I think a lot of people panic about it. Radio is one of those industries where anything can change in a moment, and um, I'm ready for that. I accept it. Uh, what I found interesting is that I also have a journalistic background, mm -hmm. and I also always thought that people who worked uh, on radio. Um, didn't like cameras or attention very much and now you've been put into the spotlight and you're also in the spotlight when you're performing in your theater company so how come you decided for radio and not like television because i can see that you're okay with the cameras well radio for me is the best medium out there because you can have an idea in the morning and have it on the radio by the afternoon tv takes months years to get your idea across um, it's a very personal medium i like the fact that 
you're you're talking really to one listener even if you have millions listening there's only one person listening really and i think uh, that's that's really special. I think it's a really creative medium because you've got to paint pictures in listeners' heads. It's a bit like books in that way, you know? Um, so yeah, maybe there's more of a crossover there than I thought, but I love it. I think it will always be my first love radio, yeah. Okay, and we talked a lot about books, but we didn't talk about what do you like to read in your spare time if you have it. Absolutely, um, so I actually, now I find myself writing, I mean, this is really female commercial fiction, right, which is not, traditionally a genre that I would have picked up beforehand. Um, previously, I, I read books in the style that I want to write in contemporary, humorous, British. Uh, recently, I've read the new Kate Morton, which is fantastic. Uh, I've read um, a fantastic novel. I don't know if you, you know it. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Yeah, we have it. Just a phenomenal novel. And I met Bonnie recently on a trip to Norway. She's the most inspirational author. Uh, I don't think she'd mind me saying, but I think she's either in her late 60s or early 70s. <sighs> she'd written nine or ten novels beforehand, all rejected by publishers. <laughs> and suddenly she gets Lessons in Chemistry published. And it's a big hit around the world. Which you is know. a great lesson for authors. Exactly. For a listening. great never give up. Yeah. Um, and it's about to come out on Apple TV, a huge net, uh, uh, Apple TV uh, show starring Brie Larson. You know, I was in, um, in Norway with her and she gets a phone call and uh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to go. It's Brie Larson. And I was like, oh my God, Captain Marvel's on the phone. <laughs> um, so yeah, I try, I try and read widely, um, non-fiction as well as, as fiction. Um, so yeah, I, I just try and absorb as much as possible. When I was younger, I really used to love the classic novels and it was probably quite pretentious of me, you know, like, oh, I love to read, you know, whoever, <laughs> Dickens and Austin. Now, not so much. I'm all about contemporary authors. And for people who ended up watching this podcast, not knowing who you are or who yeah. Lucinda is, or they haven't read any of Lucinda's books, what would you tell them about Lucinda's work and your work? What are these books about? So the Seven Sisters series is pure escapism. It's really a modern day fairy tale. The concept is a mysterious figure called Parsalt. He adopts seven girls from around the globe and he dies in mysterious circumstances at the start of the first book. And then each of the novels focuses on a sister and they get a clue to their past and then they go on an adventure across the world to discover their true family. Um, they are very emotional, uh, they're very um, full of history. Mum would research the book so thoroughly um, there's, there's real life history in there mixed with fiction, which is a beautiful blend. Uh, there's a past and a present narrative, and that's always wonderful to see how the past connects to the present day. Um, so I would totally recommend them. If you want to escape the world and just lose yourself in a new universe for a few days, Lucinda Riley is the, the author to read. And the descriptions are really authentic because Lucinda and you, as uh, I think that I, I read uh, something uh, related to that, uh, visited a lot of uh, locations by herself. And I thought, I think that I read somewhere that you visited Thailand for research, something like so that. So I didn't, no. Ah, Lucinda but did. Yes, okay. so her first book as Lucinda Riley was, um, was set in Thailand. 
Um, but it was the other way around for that, really. We were on a holiday in Thailand, <laughs> and she thought, this place is so fantastic, I want to write about oh, it. Oh, great. Um, but with the Seven Sisters, each takes place in a, in a different country and um, focuses on a different culture. It was so important to her to get that right, because it's a big responsibility, I think, writing about different cultures and different locations. So she would visit that country where she was writing about for a month to six weeks, immerse herself in the culture, meet the people, hear the stories, learn the secrets. And in that way, she was so wonderfully able to translate the location to the page. Okay. So um, in the end, what would you like to, to say to Croatian listeners and, and people who are watching this podcast? Just thank you so much, because when you are an author or in any creative job, you never start doing that job because you want huge fame, success, definitely not money. Um, you do it because you have to do it. You know, it's part of your life. It's part of your soul. It's like breathing. Um, and it was the case for mum in terms of writing novels. She just loved to do it. She would tell stories even if no one was reading them. Um, so I just want to thank you for taking the Seven Sisters into your hearts and into your homes. You really did make her dreams come true. So thank you. I hope you keep reading. Thank you, Harry, for coming here and for continuing listening to this um, legacy. And I wish you all the best with your new book as well. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure.